Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one movie at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from TheEthicalPanda.com. And I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And today we're talking about Minute 32, which begins with Thor asking what realm is this and ends with a nurse saying hello. Joining us on the show today, we have once again Jay Shepard, owner of the Marvel Cinematic Universe Location Scout. Jay, good to have you back. Hey, thanks very much. So I'm just going to start by asking the Location Scout website you have. It doesn't have the nine realms on it, does it? Because like Thor seems pretty lost. I think he could use that at this point. It's mostly focused on Midgard okay. uh, at this point, um, because, you know, until Google really allows, you know, cameras elsewhere. So it's yeah, it's a little <laughs> bit of licensing, I think. Yeah. OK, that that's you have the limits you got to deal with. Yeah. Well, we're going to get into all of that in just a moment right after this break. what do you think about the connection between Thor and Jane? We want to know. Hop into our Facebook group, the Marvel Movie Minute Podcast Executive Lounge, and join the conversation. We're also on Instagram and Twitter. Just go to truestory.fm slash marvelmovieminute and click on the link for the social of your choice, where you can join in on the conversation. So we talked about Thor being a little bit lost, uh, and he asks, what realm is this? And I just wanted to start by pointing out, I, I think it's really interesting that he, the, the, the options he goes through in terms of where he could be, especially because at, at the end of the last minute yesterday, Andy, you were saying that he just seems to have no regard for where he, you know, the people around him. Yeah. A- and I bring that up because Alfheim, the first place he says maybe this is, is the home of the Light Elves who humans very much don't look like. And then Nornheim, which, by the way, according to Norse mythology, is not even a realm. It's a part of Asgard. So again, we need that location scout here. (laughs) But even more importantly, it's where the rock trolls and three old women called the Norns, who are sort of the fates, live. So to me, the fact that he even thinks either of those is possible is telling me he's not even noticing that there's humans around him. He did not study. uh, Really, is what it comes down to. You know, I mean, he... (laughs) He, you know, he's going to be king eventually. So why does he have to pay attention in school? So I really think it's part, uh, it really has to do with the um, Asgardian schooling that they have there and not necessarily that he's really not paying attention. But again, he may have a concussion. But I bet if you showed him different pubs from each of these places, he would probably be able to tell you where he was. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it raises actually a very interesting question that Jay, especially because I know you really know a lot of the comics. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on, and we're probably going into this a lot more over the course of the movie, but I am not sure at this point, has Thor been to Midgard before? Mm. Because on the one hand, like, there was an earlier scene where he's talking with the Warriors 3 and they talk about, like, going to Jotunheim isn't like going to Midgard. But also there seemed to be kind of a finality of, you know, once the the Frost Giants were defeated— that, you know, then the, the Asgardians pulled back. So from what you know from the comics or what you're guessing in the movie, do you think he's been to Midgard before or has he just never seen humans before? I don't think he's been to Midgard uh, from at least what I understand and and probably more, in, I guess, in terms of the MCU, because the, the, the very first time that Thor visits Midgard in the comics would, I think, really be the introduction, like his first appearance in Journey into Mystery. Um, but... Uh, I, there's nothing that really goes on in Midgard. Like Midgard is like the boring ninth realm. Like it's it's Pluto. It's way out there. 
It's not even a realm, really, you know, um, as far as they're concerned. There's all this other cool, interesting stuff that happens in these other realms, and he's got friends there. But what's really going on there? They even, you know, they don't know how to do anything. So yeah, I, I really think this—he's a noob uh, out there. That's and that's an interesting question to ask, also, because I mean, he does talk about, and, and you know, as we get to the other later Thor films, he'll talk about, you know, you know, different times that they had done such a thing in a particular realm and stuff. But I don't recall that ever mentioning Midgard, like that time they came down and caused all that trouble in Midgard, like it wasn't something that that was really discussed. And so it is an interesting uh, kind of thing to think about because I guess in my head, I I, I kind of assumed that they knew about Midgard because of that conversation earlier when yeah. Fandral brings it up. It's just like, it's not like going to Earth. And weirdly, he calls it Earth instead of Midgard, but again. <laughs> um, but it is one of those things where it's like, maybe he hasn't. And you're, yeah, because it does seem like with kind of this peace treaty that that Odin had put in place, large. well, my sense was that the peace treaty largely meant that the uh, Frost Giants couldn't travel, that they were all kind of, you know, their... their um, passports were all taken away and in this particular case like it sounds like they're they still go i mean thor talks about these trips that they took and the food that they ate and the women that they loved and all this sort of stuff but never midgard so yeah, yeah. It, it's confusing because if part of the conceit is that the norse mythology that existed in the mcu version of the real world was because of people telling stories about these asgardians that became the myths about odin and thor you sort of wonder then why do they have myths about thor yeah since he was either a very young child or or hadn't even been born at the time of that last battle but yeah i, I think it's possible that just that just got missed and he just has never been here or that maybe like odin kind of looked the other way when he just took a couple joy rides into midgard but yeah it's interesting that we don't have any evidence of him talking about being to Midgard before. And he's certainly acting like he's never seen humans before. The thing about that, and we'll definitely have to talk about this later, because there is a moment when Eric is talking about this this children's book that was talking about kind of those those myths. And it makes me think that there must have been later visits, maybe not by Thor, but maybe other Asgardians who had come down here right. in order for those myths to kind of perpetuate. Because otherwise, that means the last time that they came here was 965 uh, AD. So, I mean, it was an awfully long time for them to kind of, and but maybe that's how myths last. Like, that was the last time they came and those stories just perpetuated. I don't I, know. I mean, the Greek and Roman myths have been allowed certainly much longer than that. So, Sure. And yeah. possible. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting aspect about the the mythology, and maybe it's maybe maybe he didn't come down. Maybe you know, maybe they send a uh, a bard or somebody to mm. sing the songs of the stories of these characters, which is why the myths were created. Uh, it's they're so they're not firsthand because that's I think that's the kind of the whole point of a lot of myths is they're not necessarily firsthand. They're recitations that have been handed down, and so you know how much have they changed over the course of eons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. There's an interesting element that was cut out of the script, and maybe this is why, because it would have just raised far too many questions. At Thor's coronation earlier in the film, there were meant to be in the crowd representatives from all the realms. And I can't help but feel like that would have really made things confusing. Because, like, how? So Midgardians knew about this, they were there. You know, it would have just, like, really kind of, kind of, I don't know, raised far too many questions. It, just Stan Lee, though. Yeah, you can make it be Stan Lee, you know, yeah. Yeah, just Stan Lee. He's the only one. <laughs>
you know, it's kind of a fun thought. Every now and then you meet the person who's ranting and raving and, you know, talking about the gods they saw. Well, maybe they got, you know, they actually got taken to be the one Earth person to represent. And now they have right. no credibility here. <laughs> exactly. so, so then uh, Darcy, who's a little more grounded in the face of, she's not worried about mythology. She's worried about this crazy man. And so she pulls out a taser. And which, which it just seems we were talking yesterday about her character. It seems so perfect for her that, yeah, she would carry one. You know, that she's she's a no-nonsense woman. She can take care of herself. And that's the kind of lens she's seeing this in. And then, he, but he's utterly convinced it won't work because he still thinks he's got the power. And of course it does. If she talks the way that she does, she needs to carry a taser because she's probably going to upset somebody along the way. I mean, I feel like just, I mean, you, you're right. I feel that that is the kind of tool that this character would have, but also because of she really puts herself out there in a number of situations. So, um, you know, she might have people being upset with her because she does speak her mind so easily. Yeah. And straightforward. Like, I mean, when Thor confronts Eric and Jane with these questions, they're just their their response is confused looks. Right. And Darcy, I mean, she's just like New Mexico, like you dummy. Like, you know, <laughs> she's she's she she puts it out there as she sees it, which I think makes sense. And then and uh, that also makes sense as to why she is carrying a taser and uh and fires it because, I mean, Thor is acting like a crazy person, right? This whole, you dare threaten me, Thor, with so puny a weapon. Like, yeah, I would taser you too, dude. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think yesterday we talked about how he still hasn't really gotten the memo that he doesn't have his power. And I think that's what's going on there that, yeah. you know, Thor in all of his mightiness would never be, be he'd barely notice a taser. But here it hits him and he just goes down. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, a taser, so there's a couple different kinds. I was looking into tasers, trying to learn about uh, how they work and everything. Because, I mean, I've only ever seen them used in comical effect, really, like in things like The Hangover or this or or other movies. But there's a, there's a couple different types. Um, some, the electric pulse lasts about five seconds, and some it lasts closer to 30 seconds. But they're both, in both cases, putting out about 50,000 volts at uh, the 30-second version puts it at, at seven watts over 30 seconds and the the five second version puts the 5,000 volts out at 26 watts either way you're pretty debilitated Um, based on the sound that we're hearing i'm guessing this is kind of the five second model because it's it's pretty short as to how long it lasts but yeah these are they're little um like two little pins that like hit you and stick and uh just yeah they just pump that juice into you and uh render you pretty uh incapable of doing much while they're doing their work and and this is more like a police version taser too because uh, i think most of the ones you you know you see again for comical effect in movies are the ones where you actually have to make contact with the individual with the device right it's just the two pins on the handheld itself and the ones that shoot the wired electrodes into people like those are the ones that you see police using and at least in cops you you do, but I'll tell you the sites I was looking at to get this research. It just seems like anyone can buy these. <laughs> so, so, but you're right. I, I think a lot of people carry those ones that yeah, you just like zap them in the neck when they're close to you. I'll, I'll say, Andy. Apparently, you and I had very different childhoods, very different relationships to authority. Because I definitely saw it, not never on me happily, but I uh, was with a group of uh, juvenile delinquents, shall we say, in my teenage years, and uh, saw cops use them on uh, uh, friends of mine at least a couple of times. And yeah, they were the, oh, wow. the shootout kind. So. 
yeah, uh, right. guest. And and you can get it. It's it, I love that it is played for comical effect in terms of like the way he just goes right down, which we'll see repeated in a couple of minutes, which is really fun. But also, yeah, it is just such a great reminder that he he doesn't have the power. He's not who he thinks he is, which I love. And, and then Darcy has the best reaction to that when they look at, at her like, what are you thinking? And she's just like, what? He was freaking me out. Yeah. <laughs> just like such classic Darcy. Like she is so good mm-hmm. consistently throughout the MCU. She's just great. And and then, of course, to have it follow up with Eric being the complete realist about <laughs> yeah, the situation right. <laughs> where he says, you know, next time you taser somebody, make sure they're already in the car because, of, I mean, <laughs> you know, he's jacked. And he's very heavy. So, yeah. And. That car, I don't know how they got four people into that car, into that vehicle. Uh, what was the name of it again? The Pins Gower. Pins yeah, Gower. They're, they're big vehicles, though. Like, you can you can fit a lot of people, but you're right. I mean, there's so much scientific stuff in, stuff in here. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so full of things. And I will say, she, uh, you know, Darcy was told to go get the first aid kit, which she did get. And then when you, Thor is getting loaded into the back, you see that there's yet another first aid kit in the back. So they are, they are well stocked with medical supplies in case they have an issue come mm-hmm. up. What and so then we get all of them kind of driving away and, and here's what I had a bit of a quibble and I'm wondering if you all notice this or I'm just paying way too much attention because Jane had that great moment at the end of the last minute where she said okay hospital but you go I'm staying and now she just goes with them do you think it's because like the taser changed her mind or I, I kind of wish we'd had one more moment of just Eric saying like come on Jane you've got to come with us or her saying like okay I'll, I'll go with you now or something like that well, it was scripted, and so I, I just imagine that they just were using shorthand because of the comedic beat. They mm-hmm. just decided to kind of move through it because because uh, Eric does say, "You expect me to leave you alone in the middle of the desert," and and I mean that would be my response too. It's like, uh, no, we're in the middle of nowhere. You know, there's you know potentially you know coyotes running around or other things that are going to find you. The only person wandering around in the dark. It's it just is a very bad idea. So. Um, yeah. I yeah so I I guess I just kind of moved past it as is you know smarter minds prevailed yeah that tracks so then we get hammer time as I refer to it they're driving away and we get this wonderful shot of like a shooting star uh what, what I think we will later find out but I think it's pretty obvious in the moment is Mjolnir lands and we see this great kind of cloud of smoke it makes a big noise. I, I kind of don't understand why they don't turn around immediately because it's pretty darn noticeable but Either way, there it is. What do you think about getting that shot in terms of we've had so many different versions of the Bifrost and how things come and go. Uh, what do you think of this new way of something coming from Asgard down to Earth? Looking back at it now, it's it seems really big. Uh, I mean, I, I know they want the visual effect, you know, to be noticeable. But I mean, the hammer is, you know, it's not that big. And it comes down looking, you know, like a piece of Skylab is falling or something. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's super noticeable. It's, I mean, and again, filmically, I think it's there because the the cast and crew and everybody working on this wants to make sure that you notice this. It's like, oh, that's something important that the characters don't see because they've driven out of frame, right? So they are no longer available to see this. <laughs> right. I think they were still in the frame when it starts, which is part of why I had the quibble. But yeah, no, I, I totally get that's the idea. Okay. <laughs> and it's interesting, yeah, because in the past, the Bifrost has seemed to be very much like, you know, a teleportation thing that lands you right on Earth. This, if I understand what I'm watching, it, it looks like it's something that has like, you know, reentry burn. Like it has flown all the way through the atmosphere to land, like something coming crashing down from outer space instead of 
by frosting. That's the confusion I have. It's like we don't see the same to quote Jane, atmospheric disturbance that we had earlier with kind of the, the big circles up in the sky and then the kind of the rainbow light shooting down to set the, the hammer on Earth as theoretically it's doing. I think that's explainable, though, because doesn't Mjolnir get blown out of the Bifrost wormhole effect uh, in the same way that, is it, is it this film uh, where Loki falls out of uh, Bifrost. It's right, Ragnarok. You know, just gets whisked away, right? It's like mm. you're on the train track of Bifrost, and then you go outside of the the tube that you're in, and you could go anywhere, right? Because it's an Einstein-Rosen bridge and all that. Well, and I guess that's that's kind of the confusing part because we don't really see like we see Odin throw it into the Bifrost, so presumably. It, it does start in the Bifrost, but that's that was my question. I'm like, maybe it's because it's an inanimate object, and maybe when you're in the Bifrost as, like, a person, it's like, you know, you're falling when you're parachuting. You can kind of move your body a little bit to kind of, like, you know, stay in kind of, like, the, the wave of air that you're in and kind of adjust where you're flying and stuff. And so maybe as a being who's inside the Bifrost, you can make sure you stay in the Bifrost, right? Whereas this inanimate object, maybe you're right. Maybe it does kind of like it's bouncing around through the Bifrost and eventually kind of pops out and it just kind of ends up plummeting. Just goes wherever it goes, yeah. 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 I I mean, I have this image of that. It's kind of like a bowling alley, you know, and Odin's got to put just the right spin on it, just the right throw (laughs) to keep it on the Bifrost the whole way. But instead, it's a gutter ball, so it kind of goes through the atmosphere and space instead. Oh, Um, I love love that image of of Mjolnir (laughs) as a gutter ball now. Exactly, and so it lands- well, and that, but that that would actually make sense. Why? Well, theoretically, but I'm pretty sure it's not landing in the same place, right? As Thor. Although I have some thoughts about that. We're going to zap Ruder okay, film yeah. the, the crash site uh, in a couple minutes. We're going to go through days. all of that. Yeah. So then we get to the hospital, and and Jay, am I right? You actually found where this actual hospital is that they were filming at? Yeah. This was uh, obviously I was not tracking MCU locations um, from the beginning of the MCU. I, I, I kind of got in my head that first season of Daredevil. So we were already into, what, phase three, I think, at that point. So I was kind of going back and playing some catch-up. So a lot of people had found a lot of locations, and there were things that were listed. But nobody had this listed knowing that they filmed in, in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I kind of just started looking around, like literally looking around using Google Maps. And Mm. sometimes it's one of those things where you just kind of throw a pin down in a populated area and you luck out. So this the hospital is not actually a hospital. So don't go looking for hospitals. Uh, That's (laughs) that's kind of the rule I go by. If there is something that looks like, you know, it's a hospital or a police station or some other government building, it's not. Right. Because they're right. not going to be able to film at a real hospital. Yeah, usually they can't close down for filming the way you could like Times exactly. Square or something like that. Right. So you start looking for other things. So this is actually a um, it, well, it is a government building of type. It's called the Tony Anaya building, which is um, where the aging and long term services department, the regulation and licensing department and the New Mexico Board of Examiners for Architects are housed. Uh, named after a governor and attorney general of New Mexico uh, at one point in the past. And um, as far as I could tell, when whenever I ended up putting this on my, my Google map at the time, I didn't see anybody else uh, of the of 
the few other sites that I, I search for movie related locations and stuff, nobody else really had this, but it's also Thor is pretty sparse in terms of locations. So, you know, you find a couple big locations for it and that satisfies a lot of people. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's another, uh, a site, I, I you know, Iron Man and for this film, I've used yeah, your location scout quite a bit to kind of help me with the locations. And there's another site that I use just to kind of read through, and it's the Marvel Film Guide. Mm-hmm. And they still have on their site, it still says it's an unknown location. If you know what it is, let us know. Yeah, so Movie Maps funny, yeah. Um, is, a, is one that I've used. And um, they we kind of ping pong back and forth. They'll find some stuff and credit me, and then I'll find some stuff and credit them. Um, and they have, I think they have it pointing to um, potentially one of my article write-ups at um, uh, retrosap.com uh, as a link for, nice. for that particular one. And gotcha. do you have a sense of, I know you mostly are looking for, for where they are, but I don't know if over the time you kind of get a sense of why they make the decisions. Do you have any sense of why they chose this particular building? I think going back to what I said earlier, it does kind of look like a hospital. I mean, you put a sign up that says hospital um, and you light it. It's, it's not a super high rise. Um, it's, it definitely gives that New Mexico vibe, right? It's got that kind of Southwest architecture, uh, which was one of the other things I'd seen some people saying, oh, you know, they probably shot this in LA. Um, you know, and I'm like that it's too Southwestern architecture for LA. I kind of get these senses of, I don't know, uh, just the style of buildings, uh, especially having grown up in the Los Angeles area. I kind of know when stuff is like downtown or the South Bay or in the Valley or Santa Clarita. And that didn't feel right to me for any of those. But, you know, it's got a big parking lot. You've got built in parking for the um, for the cast and crew. Uh, Plus, it's a government building, so they're not going to be operating at night. Uh, And then as far as the interiors go, I I don't know where those are. That potentially could be uh, a set that they built on a soundstage. Yeah. I mean, it looks like it could be a real hospital, but interiors are so hard to to figure out unless you get some inside information. And, you know, if I could sit down and look at some shooting logs, uh, some call sheets, that would be great. But. There are so many hospital just sets that are built like in L.A. for people to shoot on for so many different reasons, uh, you know, that it's entirely possible. I just have always assumed that they just shot that in L.A. on a on a set. Yeah, Same with uh, jail sets like, you know, right. Exactly. Courtrooms, all those sorts of things. ER and Grey's Anatomy and how many other shows? There's got to be so many of those sets hanging around. Yeah, they're standing sets for a lot of this. I mean, a lot of stuff for long-term shows uh, that focus on ER uh, and Grey's Anatomy, you know, they would build sets for themselves, but they're also just standing sets. You know, if you're shooting a independent film, you can find a jail, a hospital, operating room, a courthouse, you know. Yeah, right. I will say the other the other benefit that this building provided is that it has that underpass like as a part of the building for which it's perfect for like ambulances to pull up to like the emergency room area. Right. So that actually you know works really well when they just hang that emergency sign there. It totally um, speaks to that. It sells it. Yeah. And they also covered up or used digital technology uh, because there is uh, I think it's on the left side of the frame kind of over the. Uh, county hospital sign but you would be able to see the words tony anaya building on the side of the building so you know they they do things like that where they will remove uh elements of the actual architecture that would identify it as not what they're what they're trying to say but i also have to add 
I am a fan of the Dutch angles that Kenneth Branagh puts into this film because it feels comic booky, and it also allows you to kind of get a, even a little bit more of this location in the frame. Right. It's a it's a pretty sprawling building, but not too tall. So it kind of works in a widescreen format, but you can't it a little bit to make a diagonal and it fits even better. And it may be because I grew up watching a lot of Batman 66 and just sort of the Dutch angles that they did there. <laughs> but, I, you know, comics are about putting things in frames and frames are not necessarily always the same size um, and, you know, things don't fit. And so you can turn mm -hmm. your frame or your objects and, you know, draw it however you need it to get it to show up. And uh, I thought that the that creative decision here in a comic book film uh, really worked well. Yeah, he does that very consistently throughout the film. And it's it's fun to see. You know, I, I really like that he he adapted or he adopted that technique. And I love you, you talking about it as something that comes out of comics and, and Batman 66 and things like that, because I, I think it's probably 100% where he's coming from. But an added bonus to it that he may have had intentional or just is just a knock-on effect is, you know, to me, it makes me feel as an audience member like I'm off balance, like I'm off kilter, which is exactly what, you know, everyone is, in, is feeling throughout so much of the movie. You know, it makes mm -hmm. me feel like I don't know where solid ground is. And that's exactly what the characters are feeling. So it's... Yeah, it goes back to that kind of fish-out-of-water story like you were talking on yesterday's uh, show. Right. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. One other note that I think um, I just have to point out is that as they're pulling up into it, when we cut to the close shot or the closer shot of the, the Pinsgauer kind of uh, pulling into the hospital there, you see the wet ground. And we talked about that a lot in Iron Man. Um, the, it's a filmmaking technique of, of hosing down parking lots and roads just to get a better, more interesting look because you get those reflections off of it and everything. And you certainly do in this particular shot. Do I buy that it had been raining recently, considering that they had been looking on such clear night skies uh, just a few, you know, like an hour or so ago? I don't know if I really buy it. Um, I know they drove to get to the hospital and stuff, but it's one of those things. It's just like, I do think that it makes the shot look really nice to have the, the wet ground there. Yeah, one of the things the cinematographer probably looked at and said, hey, we just need to do a little hose down here just to get that sheen where other departments might be like, why are we waiting? Why are we waiting for a water truck to come <laughs> in? You know, let's just get this exactly. done because they're shooting at night, probably overnight. So, right. Yep. Exactly. So then we get this great dialogue with the admissions nurse uh, that we see a little more of in the <laughs> oh, uh, cut yes. scene that we'll talk about. But it gives me what I think is my favorite line from Darcy throughout the whole thing, where just they're explaining, um, you know, what happened to him. And she's like, I tased him. You know, no guilt, no shame. Just it's, like, a, it's, that, yeah. it's that, yes, I did. Yeah. It went after, after, after the like blaming each other. Well, she, you hit him with a car. Well, you tased him. Yes, I did. Yeah. Like, Again, so much she gets pride. the funny line, but it, it builds character, right? Yeah. If it's, yeah. if it's moving the character moments or the story forward, it's a totally acceptable reason to give the character that piece of dialogue and, and, the, you know, for everything that people knock a lot of the MCU films about, or just comic book films in general, Marvel does a really good job of building strong characters. Uh, mm -hmm. I find a lot more likable and or relatable characters. And this even applies to the comics that yeah. Marvel publishes. And that was their whole 
idea of kind of starting Marvel Comics back with FF number one 60 years ago was the fact that, you know, they wanted to make more relatable characters. This fact that Spider-Man was, you know, needed to pay his bills. So that's why yeah. he goes and wrestles. And, you know, there's so here we've got these characters that, yeah, maybe they're encountering a god, but that doesn't really change <laughs> like a real world, <laughs> you know, uh, interaction that you'd be having here because of that. Right. Right. Yeah, right. I, I really love that. I love what you're talking about with Darcy, because I think it's it's one of my favorite parts of the, the sort of wide angle storytelling that the MCU allows, because, yeah, I have seen the quirky best friend in a rom-com a hundred times, and I've always kind of wanted to know more of their story, and you never get it. In the exact same way, I've seen the kind of whimsical FBI agent who's sort of chasing our hero, but sort of not, that you that in a hundred, you know, crime movies or just action movies and you get that in uh ant-man 2 with jimmy woo and then he also gets to be you know a much more fleshed out character and i think it's not coincidence that him and darcy you know now people are talking about wanting like the woo and darcy show and i'm yeah. signing me up because yeah they just they realized they had two throwaway characters but they were just they had put so much effort into them back then that they could develop them into much bigger parts of the universe it's just yeah the woo files i'm looking forward to it yeah yes <laughs> and, and and look i mean really it starts with agent colson right i mean they really like right out of the gate with iron man like they created this character that people are like "Ooh, i like this this person let's do more of that yeah and i mean they found a way to really turn those characters into uh you know something special that people really uh, are drawn to on the flip side of that, though, you have admissions nurse whose name is Dawn, I'll tell you. Um, and I don't know why they wrote her the way they did. They they called her in the script. She's a sweet, ditzy admissions nurse, which I guess is fine. They're trying to come up with a quirk for the character. This is um, Juliet Lopez, who is playing the admissions nurse here. But I don't know if it's her performance or the direction or what. But you know, she's she is pretty ditzy. She can barely spell Thor in the deleted scene. It's it's or the extended scene, I really should say, it's so much worse. Like, she just cannot do anything. And it's it's very frustrating the way that they put this particular character together. And you can see why they edited it down and took yeah. the extra portion of the scene out, like watching that extended moment. Sometimes you see those extended scenes um, from, you know, the extras on the DVD, and you're like, that would be really interesting. Uh, I was watching Aliens again, and... I watched the director's oh, cut yeah. because I think that the extended scenes actually provide a lot more. This I can totally see why they why yeah. they, cut it. they cut it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, absolutely. The, I was trying to imagine why they would put this in because there's already enough comedy in that moment with Darcy and her reactions. I, I wonder if what they're going for is to kind of remind you that this is a small town podunk hospital, you know, because like someone like that would never keep their job when the emergency room is getting filled up all the time, you know? So maybe they just wanted to be like, this is kind of a it, it reminding you we're in the middle of nowhere, but that's the only thing I can figure out. I mean, it's a pretty fancy-looking hospital, though. It's definitely not in Puerto Antiguo, uh, so mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, that, right. if, if they had gone into, like, you know, a little shop, you know, building that was the hospital in the little podunk town yeah like urgent care place or something like that. yeah this I mean, and it's the county hospital so you know it's in a bigger town and stuff but yeah it does feel like they're uh, it feels like they're trying to say something but they just never quite did and even with what we have just the t-h-o-r like trying to figure out how to spell thor i mean it's just kind of like come on just let's get through this as quick to be as fair thor has problems spelling his own name in the what if series <laughs> Also true. Also. But yeah, yeah, and it's doubly weird because part of the point is that Thor is a fairly well-known name, you know, in the MCU. And I think kind of in, the, in our own world. And that's, yeah, it's just kind of weird. 
So and in New Mexico, a, though, I, I don't know that it would. Pl- I mean, fair. If, if fair. you said you were Thor in New Mexico, you would definitely get a lot of strange looks, and people <laughs> might not hear you properly. You That's know? also I very mean, possible. That's very possible. Yeah. Right. I before before we step away from Juliet though I did want to do the IMDb game uh with her um this is this thing that we do periodically um as 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 different cast members appear and or disappear from the film Jay where we look at IMDb and as you know on IMDb they list four projects that that particular person is known for oh. and sometimes it's very peculiar it's like why is that something that that person would be known for and i know neither of you probably are that familiar with juliette lopez so i'm not going to make you guess although if you know anything about big projects that have been filmed in new mexico there is a very particular tv show that you can probably guess she was in uh not roswell breaking bad uh, breaking bad yes breaking bad is young for roswell Right. She's the number one. And Breaking Bad is the number one uh, thing that she is known for. She played the an OMI officer in that show. Oh, the second right. film. No, yeah, oh, you remember? Wow. The second one, she was in Zero Dark Thirty. And then the third is Thor. And the last is the uh, she was a producer for a TV series called Townies. Oh, good. Oh, okay. I, I feel like so. the writers did not do her any favors with this scene. So I'm glad that she's yeah. gotten some uh, better roles over the years. <laughs> Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm assuming that she's based in New Mexico. She seems to be, you know, a lot of things that come through their TV shows, movies. Uh, she seems to pop up in a lot of them. I, I, I do take umbrage with the way that that stuff gets set up in IMDb, because sometimes I believe it is there's some kind of AI behind it that knows what I'm searching for, because sometimes <laughs> the little weird film that I'm looking at is the one that's listed up there and not the thing like because I'll go because I want to find out. That yeah. person is familiar. What have I seen him in? And yeah. what I've seen him in is something that's probably more popular than the thing that it's showing me. And that's what's so funny is this because, like, what is their algorithm? Like, it makes yeah. no sense. Like, why is that the thing that it shows? Right. So, when Heimdall yeah, first arrived, we looked at it. Was it Idris Elba who was not yes. listed? The Wire was not listed as one of his credits. That yeah. is correct. There you just, go. It, it's yeah. far and away his best role. I mean, maybe Luther, but anyway, that's a whole other different story. Uh, yeah, you do the right. minute by minute wire, by the way. I am so there. Uh, <laughs> be a very long show, but that's right. Anyway, so yeah, so I think that's about all we have from the minute. We do get that one last uh, scene of the nurse, kind of. I think trying to be very friendly, but in a way that if I'm Thor, I could take is kind of creepy and invasive. What, what, what's your little thought on? Uh, that one moment of the nurse we get at the end. Well, I think he's coming into an unconscious patient is the way that I kind of looked at it, who and because he's getting ready to draw blood from an unconscious patient who happens to wake up as he's getting ready to do that. That that was kind of the sense that I had. And, And the fact that we have the upside down camera, like you were saying earlier, it throws everybody's perspective off because of the disorientation of the characters. Another, another good filmic way to sort of, uh, to extrapolate that. That's right. That's right. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, And this is Terry Dale Parks playing our nurse. Um, We'll talk more about him in our next minute. Awesome. Well, uh, any other last comments we didn't touch on? I think, Andy, was there a reaction from Jane you wanted to mention? I think it's when when she gets tased, when uh, he gets tasered and Eric and Darcy kind of give a reaction. But Jane just has this like complete slack jawed like, (gasps) right? (laughs) Like her mouth is so agape. Like it's just like practically hitting the ground and running, ruining the runes below her. Yeah, it is a very, (laughs) very big mouth that she does there. (laughs) Well, Jay, thank you so much again. Um, We've heard a lot about your work with Location Scout, but tell us a little more about the podcast you do. 
Sure. Uh, so uh, I do a uh, every two week podcast with my friend Josh uh, called Superhero Suite, where we look at the entire breadth and width of superhero media, comics, movies, TV, you know, whatever else uh, might be coming. We talk about upcoming movies and sometimes we'll talk about specific TV shows or focus on a character from the comics if it's something that's coming up. Uh, so we'll do that. And then we also have an after show that we do together for the Flash TV show that we've been doing uh, um, for the last seven years from, from the CW show called Scarlet Velocity, a Flash podcast. We also had one for uh, uh, called Green Justice for Arrow. Uh, which ended uh, a couple of years ago now. And also we had one called Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Case Files, which uh, was really fun until they canceled S.H.I.E.L.D. But uh, <laughs> we had so much fun talking about that and also being able to talk about the MCU films during our uh, summer breaks. I appreciate that because you've allowed me now to uh, both invite you onto more podcasts while working in a very subtle shameless plug for my own podcast. <laughs> One of the other podcasts I do is called Superhero Ethics, and we love getting ethical questions, and both The Flash and Arrow raise so many of them. So I'd love to have you on for that one as well sometime. So nice. please check very out cool. his podcast. Uh, you can find my podcast under theethicalpanda.com. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Andy, so much, and have a great day. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. Music